almost kicked off. <coughs> oh, good. My fucking Christ. What? I'm sad. All right, silence on the set. Here we go. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan, and welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and today with me on the panel is none other than a very sick and near-death Daniel Crookie. Hello, Daniel Crookie. Hi, Peter. I resemble that remark. (laughs) Would you like to uh, tell the pod listeners all of your ailments that you're suffering from currently? No, but if the team gets sick before Saturday, it's probably not my fault. Why is that? In the locker room on Saturday, like, don't cough, don't sneeze, don't cough, don't sneeze, don't get anyone (laughs) sick. Hand sanitizer, where is it? Right. You didn't run around and just touch all the players on the face with your open hand? No, no. All right. That would be kind of weird. Right. Just walking around slapping players. You didn't go over there and uh, give a big old smushy kiss on Pax's new mustache? You know, it nearly happened, but I was just, like, I was very careful to be like, hey, I'm not shaking hands or anything. We'd, we'd, we'd be in or, uh, we'd be an NBA-like. All right. If Tanner Tessman ends up with the coronavirus, I'm blaming you. And, of course, our founder and leader of ThirdDegree.net, none other than Buzz Carrick. Hello, Buzz. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter, calling in today from Los Angeles, California, because I'm going to have a meeting with Robert Redford to discuss the usage rights of the nickname Sundance Kid. Man, you've been waiting for days to use that line, haven't you? <laughs> Actually, I just made it up, but <laughs> I'm excited about that nickname, though. I'm going to abuse it. Yeah, when Matt Doyle retweeted it, I thought, uh-oh, there goes the, <laughs> there goes the buzzard uh, balloon head right out, the, right out the window. He's so proud of himself for coming up with that one. Matter of fact, when that was so good, my wife actually texted me and asked me if I came up with it myself because she didn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's love right there. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that that, that uh, mustache thing on Pax's face is definitely of interest. And his quotes about new me, new year, I shaved it all off and left it and... Uh, wow, that's a that's a brave that's a brave look going on there for the kid, especially with his longer hair, and now he's wearing the uh, the headband, and he's got a whole new look going on, doesn't he? Yeah, it's definitely special. But he's a confident kid, so I don't think he's enjoying the reactions to it. To be yeah. honest, you score a goal like that on opening day, you can wear whatever the hell you want, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you can. All right, well, let's get into it because it is a victory pod. Huntsman 2, Union 0. Let's see. So how to start with this. Am I off track in saying that the overall quality of the game, as to be expected for first game of the season, wasn't actually all that good? No, not not off track at all. No, it definitely was not a high-caliber end-of-season game. It's definitely a season-opener uh, rough, rusty sort of game for both teams. They both uh, had issues. Um, you know, I, I think it was better than FC Dallas was a year ago, certainly, but definitely not uh, a game you're going to hold up as like a high quality watermark. I mean, we didn't see Lucci ball. We didn't. We saw even possession. We only saw like 400 passes instead of 600. You know, all, all the all the trouble building out of the back. Those guys all passed in the, like the mid 70s percentages instead of the 90 percent we're used to. So, um, definitely a work in progress. 
All right, so uh, should we just at least start this particular review of the game with really the headline story uh, of the whole thing, which I guess some people are going to want to talk about Paxton, but really, for me, the story of the game was Tanner Tessman and his performance and the, the circumstances around that. Uh, there's a lot to, to really, really enjoy from that kid's performance, specifically in his defensive duties, uh, but... I think you're going to tell me, Buzz and Dan, that we really haven't seen the best yet of that kid. Oh, no, no, no. You're, you know, uh, aside from the fact that he's just an 18 year old kid playing his first ever professional game, you know, anybody in that circumstance is going to make a mistake, you know, and, and you're talking about a player who, um, while he's been involved in the U.S., uh, no, U.S., excuse me, the FC Dallas system for a couple of years, it's still not the same as starting in an MLS game. So, um, he is capable of a much cleaner game than that. He's capable of a lot more going forward. Um, but I don't know what Dan thinks, but I thought he was uh, did a nice job of keeping it simple and not trying to be overcomplicated and not trying to do too much going forward. And you could tell as the game grew on, he became more confident and he started to do things. And in particular, the run he made with Paxton where Paxton scored was fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, he, he definitely came in with the right mindset. Occasionally you'll see uh, a young guy come up, st- take a step up, whether it's to League One or MLS, and, you know, they try and play it as if it's a, a DA game, and then the pace is different, the style is different, the guy is elbowing you in the face or a lot bigger. Um, actually, uh, you know, we, we, we keep boosting his podcast, but on, uh, on the episode of Chum Chat that uh, he did this morning <laughs> with... the uh, Judson Burns. Hold and on, hold on, wait a second. I just want to state for the record, I'm really mad and jealous that I didn't come up with a podcast called Chum Chat because that's freaking genius. I love that. I wonder how many uh, shark fishermen uh, try and listen to it and then just like, right. what the hell is this? Yeah. yeah, they're doing a search through at, uh, the Apple Podcast listing. Oh, Chum Chat. This must all be about great white fishing. Yeah. Wait, no, yeah. it's not. Oh. Um, but yeah, he uh, you know they they talked a bit about about his game and uh, he was pretty frank with it and said you know it's you can you can train um, with the players you can play preseason but once you get out in the stadium in uh, in that first game every pass seems a hundred times faster and harder and it took him a minute to to adapt and settle in um, you know and it definitely showed that he did settle in and and didn't just you know, take a, the first couple of seconds to heart and say, oh, God, this is scary. Um, you know, and to, to finish it out with that long-busting 50-yard pass from from making the ball to uh, to Paxton on the halfway line to, to getting ahead of him into the box, uh, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that you definitely saw more of in the academy and, and if he can uh, develop at that rate and, and bring more of that uh, into the first team, that would that definitely make it uh, a little more challenging for Savania and Acosta to to just uh, to take their places back. Yeah, there's a there's an element to the fact that he's just physically bigger and and not just by a little bit than somebody like Paxton, uh, let's say as an example, that just adds an element to his game. Uh, that's really interesting because he is such a physical presence out on the field. He gets into 50-50 situations, and it's very unlikely he's going to lose those in straight-up uh, challenges. 
and that that's what I really mostly noticed in, in just watching on television was he just looks bigger than pretty much everybody else out there. And I don't mean just taller. I'm talking about just all around all dimensions. He just has a very different presence. And while, it, look, his game wasn't super clean. What was his passing rate? Like, it was low, 71 70 Yeah, 70%. 70%. It's, it, that's got to get better for that position. That's an unacceptably low um, uh, passing rating for for that position. But uh, that little tiny look, he, he gets a ball uh, in their half of the field. He makes a very simple, smart pass to Paxton and then goes on that incredible sprint that leads to the second goal that – Man, I just thought said a lot about that kid's game. Yeah, that's one of the things he described about himself um, was what he, what he has, what he called, what he called sustainable pace, which means that, you know, like in a little 10 yard burst, the little guys can beat him. But in those long runs, he really can eat up the ground and really move. Uh, and you're right. That kid is absolutely jacked. Uh, he's not just like a tall, skinny beanpole like Matt Hedges. The guy's got is absolutely built in the upper body. He can hold guys off better than anybody I've ever seen. Um, you know, and you're, and you're correct that the 70% passing is it's not where Thiago Santos was at 80%, for example. But Jesus right in front of him was at 57%. So, you know, we no, know we're getting to Jesus. Don't you worry. Yeah, Mr. we're going to get to Jesus. So we know when you move up more up the field that it's going to be harder to pass, of course. But, um, you know, again, it's important to remember that we're just talking about the 18 year old kid making his first game. And he does remind me of those rare midfielders. The one that I always think of is Matt McEwen from the um, Wizards back in the day, who was six two. Yeah, that's you know, a, that's a great uh, analogy, and I, w- I would yeah. have never remembered that one. I really uh, credit to you, Buzz, for coming up with that one. That's a great one. Well, thank you. And because McEwen, if you remember, uh, being a, a deep lying kind of playmaker, I mean, he played that same sort of. I don't think I would call him a six. I would have called him a deep eight, like Tanner is, with those long passes and with those over the top balls that Tanner can can uh, make and, and you know that the kid mentally has all the components in there and you know he has the ability to do the things it's so the more playing time he gets the more it's going to become comfortable and the more you're going to see him look like he does for north texas where he'll play a lot this season you know that's for sure and you know there's there's plenty of time for him to grow you know it's important to remember that uh these young kids all of them whether it be thomas roberts or even paxton jesus are still six, seven, eight years away from the prime of their career. So we're going to watch them blossom and mature year after year after year as they grow up here in front of our eyes, really, as professionals. Yeah, I, I think the thing that a lot of people need to put in perspective is is that his appearance in this game really was more out of necessity, i.e. injuries to other players, than anything else. And yet we still got this level of performance in, in a first game out of the kid that young and and i think uh i think that's really promising uh for tanner tessman plus yeah. while he's growing people can go to the blog and read the meteoric rise of tanner tessman over and over and over just generate those clicks <laughs> that's right <laughs> please go read dan crook's meteoric yeah. rise of tanner tessman which was published before everybody else published one uh a few days later and dan's is the best of them i do yes. really i do quickly want to take a moment just to discuss this Interesting side part of the whole Tanner Tessman story, which is uh, I just there's a part of me that really believes that the Tessman family may have out businessed Dan and Clark Hunt in this deal for a homegrown contract with Tanner. Uh, I, and because the, the obviously now everybody has seen the social media video of Dabo Sweeney going, oh, shucks, I should have kept my mouth shut and talking about losing Tanner as a as a scholarship player for Clemson, both as football and soccer. And I'm 
I, I really in my heart believe one that's Dabo Sweeney. He always knows what he's doing when it in in terms of bringing in players. And two, I just think that the family uh, leveraged their relationship with Clemson. Not that they he wouldn't have gone there if he if that's what needed to be, but they smartly leveraged that. Uh, and maximized it to get what I'm hearing is a record homegrown deal, although we don't know the numbers yet and probably won't know for uh, several more weeks. Yeah, there's no question. For people that don't know, we'll repeat the story that um, Tanner's dad works for uh, runs Dabo's foundation, and he and Dabo are best friends. And Tanner's dad has been around big-time athletics for a long time. Dabo is his godfather. Yeah, Dabo is his godfather, right. And in particular, speaking of his family, his dad's been around this big time college athletics. He knows how the system works. And there's no question that for about the last year, FC Dallas has wanted to sign Tanner to a North Texas deal. And it's no question that they used the Clemson opportunity. And they, and I'm, I guarantee you Dabo's in on this whole thing and was saying all these wonderful things to put pressure on the club. And again, of course, all of it in the end is on Tanner. If Tanner hadn't played well enough for North Texas over the last year, and if he hadn't played well enough this spring, then that offer for a homegrown deal would not have come from the club. So, uh, you know, it's on the kid, but it's also on the parents. And I'm sure that Tanner probably hasn't signed with an agent yet or hadn't. But I guarantee you that there were advisors that were around that are going to be his agent at some point. You know how that works. So uh, savagely played by them. And I'm excited the kid's on the team, and I think he's going to have a bright future. Right now, he'll only play a couple of games, and then he'll go back to North Texas. But um, the future is going to be big for this kid. There is also, you know, just in relation with uh, related to this, all the stories that we've talked about over the last several weeks about, you know, young up and coming academy kids uh, essentially bowing out of the FC Dallas system because they didn't feel like they got a contract uh, that made sense for them from North Texas, the reserve team, uh, and how the Tessman family, you know, manipulated their system to their advantage to not only just bypass a North, because there's no question in my mind what Dan and Clark Hart, Dan and Clark wanted to do was sign Tessman to a North Texas deal, right? That would have been the cheapest way out. But now the cards have been forced that they had to sign him to a homegrown deal to keep him, and it wasn't a cheap one either. Yeah, they certainly have been trying to sign him to one for since the, probably the middle of last year. Um, and there's uh, there's for sure a certain amount of credit that needs to go to North Texas because Tanner was dominating the developmental academy uh, to the point which he was MVP of the playoffs, you know, and that was back in May, a, a year ago, May. Like, so between now and then he would have plateaued and not progressed if they hadn't have had this vehicle to play him at a higher level, um, both in training and in games and even in training with the first team. So the process uh, clearly works in terms of progressing a player to the pro team. The question of course is, can you get, this is something we've been talking about ad nauseum, this not signing the North Texas contract. And Tanner has showed that you can use North Texas to your benefit without signing and still get that homegrown deal if you're good enough. And in the end, that's what really has to happen is you have to be good enough. Well, it's a, a great story overall. It's both good for the club. It's good for the player. Uh, I do think that the ongoing drama related to signings for North Texas and up-and-coming kids and kids leaving the system is one to watch and, and, and put a pen in. For sure. Uh, going back to the game itself, Dan, I will ask you now. I'll give you the uh, uh, choice of who else you'd like to talk about that left an impression, good or bad, from uh, the, the 2-0 win on Saturday. I mean, uh, I, I think... You know, if the only one that 
the only performer that was uh, really top Tana was uh, Tiago Santos. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, exactly what you wanted from a, from a high profile, or high profile for FC Dallas sign in um, coming into the first game. Such a an assured game, uh, really controlled that kind of single pivot that allowed Tessman to to get further up. Um, you know, uh, obviously Tessman had a a fantastic defensive game, but as you watched it go on, you know he was able to uh, to have the confidence to make those runs and, and know that there was a, a solid player who was was sitting there um, in cover. Uh, the thing that I noticed that really caught me off guard was the two or three times he got on the ball and just saw space in front of him, and he just started taking space up. And the he, and he kept looking up and realizing Philly wasn't closing him down, and he took more and more space and got into the box a couple of times. And well, that's not something we see a lot of out of uh, especially deep lying mids from MLS teams. Yeah, I mean, you think uh, Brian Acosta and uh, Carlos Correa, they've both still got a few balls in orbit right now. <laughs> from last season um you know i mean santos honestly he should have had a goal there was that one he got into the box and he tried to shoot near post and just sort of clip you know just uh just came a little bit short when if he'd have shot across the body as a player closed in he'd have probably oh sorry across the keeper's body as a defender closed in he's probably putting that on the far post and in yeah that was a nice little trade of his and it was a a, a promising uh, performance, I thought. Buzz, did you have any particular takeaways on Santos you want to discuss? No, he was my man of the match too. Uh, I, you know, the, I think some of those runs forward came as he started to feel uh, comfortable with Tessman covering for him because that's an important rotation when that happens. Um, but yeah, the, delightful. I, I thought he did a really nice job of, of controlling the middle of the field, controlling the pace of the game, um, finding the right guys going forward, and, and those little extra runs are an added bonus. So um, first game, so good for him. Uh, good start. I think it's exactly what uh, we wanted to see. So uh, we talked about the fact that the, we we understood this was game number one. Everything's going to be a little uh, wonky and, and, and not perfect. But were there some signs there in terms of the game overall that concerned you uh, in terms of build-up and shot-making and and maybe that connection from midfield to Jesus to Cobra uh, or maybe the wing play between Barrios and FIFA that are, uh, that uh, that raised any red flags with you, Buzz? Uh, they had a little trouble dealing with the two strikers, so the, the, the switch to the three solved that. So I really liked having the ability to switch formations. That That was quite good. Um, but that I thought, was a defensive uh, solve more than trying to correct the attacking situation. Well, right? it's a build out solve. Mm-hmm. It's like they were they were having trouble dealing with the two strikers in terms of um, doing Lucci ball out of the back because they were basically short a man. Well, not short a man because they were because of the two strikers, they were even manned. So by adding a third guy, they were able to build out better and create better passing and play more Lucci ball in style. Um, Dan had a great quote from Paxton, which was in the breakout about it, about how that helped uh, that solve that problem. Um, Jesus did not have a great game for him. He looked to me like he was um, a combination of rusty and maybe feels like there's a lot of weight on him. Maybe because Tanner was in there and because of all the hype that he's going through, Jesus was over the winter that maybe he feels like he needs to do too much. Maybe that was it was not a great game for him. Um, Fafa Pico, I, I liked some of the things he was doing. I liked some of the things he showed. He needs to do them higher up the field, though, and more into the box. Uh, it's not a question, I think, that he's 
why he was the one that came off to make uh, the three five two happen as opposed to Barrios, for example. You know, uh, Fava was not as impactful as Barrios, but then again, it was his first game with this team. Uh, first, he was also being targeted pretty heavily. Fava was. Yeah, like they were hacking yeah. the hell out of him. Oh yeah, his former teammates. You know, they definitely were had a, didn't want to let him beat them for sure. Was, that was uh, part. Of he was definitely a little aggrieved at one of the the new guys that signed since then. He was there, uh, you know, saying, "Oh yeah, especially that new guy." I guess he was like trying to prove something. Oh, yeah. Okay, but let me ask you this: if if I told you that my uh, general reaction to the game was, and 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 again, this isn't a criticism or a praise of the team, but it's just a general observation that what I saw on Saturday didn't really look that much different than where we left this team last November. Would you guys agree or disagree with me on that? I would agree with that. I think that's probably fair. Uh, you know, it's it's not surprising that um, you're coming into the spring exactly where you left in the fall. I mean, you know, they work on stuff in the spring, but a lot of times because they have such a long off season, some of it's fitness and then some of it is like just getting back to where you were. So, you know, for you to be at the same place going into this season that you left last season is actually fine. I, they'll have the whole year to build on it. Okay. So, I mean, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, Dan. I was just saying my main takeaway is, uh, you know that was a a two nil win that you know in another uh, another time would have been either a, a draw or a, or a narrow loss. They reacted well to the the two strikers, which uh, I'm I'm writing something about the three five the switch to the three five two and what they were looking for and everything else. And I was thinking back to like Oscar's teams. I was like. Yeah, it would have stuck with a four-two-three-one. Would have tried counter-attacking. The fullbacks wouldn't have been able to get out. Probably would have just been, you know, bashing their heads against the wall. And uh, you know, to to be able to make those changes that affect both sides of the ball, um, you know, and, and deal with uh, deal with the opponent. It was just a. Uh, it was kind of winning ugly, which which um, FC Dallas has kind of struggled with. I think across the board, they struggled in particular with um, creating scoring opportunities. The ball's into the final third. Like, Fafa was a little too deep. Barrios was fine, but he always is. But Jesus had trouble passing into the final third. And um, and Tanner, being 18 and new, was not real aggressive about that from as deep as he was playing. So they only ended up with nine shots, which is really low for them, particularly at home. Um, and they allowed 15 for uh, Philly. So um, that... That that's a thing. Although I w- I did look at the chart and most of Philly shots came from outside the box because they were kind of getting desperate. So it's it's not the quantity in that case, but it is the quantity for FC Dallas. And um, you know this is sort of a problem that plugged them sometimes last year was creating enough opportunities by being not able to find Cobra in the box because one or two of their three players underneath were not being successful enough. In this case, it was two of the three. So um, stuff to work on for sure. Yeah, definitely that that connection to the final third. It just it just wasn't there, and I think we'd uh, we'd sort of been talking on a text at the time, and you could see that Lu- that Jesus was making the runs that Lucci likes, but but that doesn't replace the pa- the passes that a Paxton makes uh, into the final third to put guys in positions. Um, I know Lucci did highlight the, you know, when he talked about through the stats as he always does at the start of his press conference. You know, he said. Well, we definitely value the shots and targets more than overall shots, but yeah, that's a little one-sided. 
So, I, you know, my observation was I, I really was uh, uh, surprised to see how quiet Barrios was through the game. And, and looking through the stats and the charts, he only had one successful dribble in the game. And he didn't really uh, seem to get on the ball a lot. Uh, FIFA, again, I think a lot of this is still them just trying to, you know, gel and, and build chemistry. And, and many of the connecting pieces in the final third or the, actually the, the attacking half of the field that you guys talked about. But one of the things that I thought that highlighted to me that was problematic here, and this is going to get back to the thing that I talked about last year, which is Cobra. Uh, and again, I'm still convinced that at some point that guy's going to do something that's going to make me fall in love with him. But up until he scored the goal, I was back to feeling like I really dislike this guy as a striker on an MLS team because every time a ball came to him, if he if he didn't donkey touch it away, as soon as he collected it, he'd try to make a, distribu- a distribution pass that at least 75% of the time it ended up in a turnover or went out of bounds. And I stopped counting how many times that happened. And to kind of make my point even more maddening is the ball that he received, which, by the way, came from Jesse, which was a fantastic ball that broke at least two lines to get to him. The touch to set up the shot, which was beautifully finished, was a poor touch on his part. Like, it was a weird touch that bounced the ball up that he had to reposition himself to take the shot in the first place. So this all gets back to the point that I think a lot of what ails this team in attack is they still don't have a very good number nine up front. As much as we all really want to love Copra, uh, do either one of you agree with me that he that he's still uh, festered with these weird kind of uh, lack of whatever it is that would we real the team really needs at that position? No, I'd agree with you. And you remember that one of the things that um, had kept him out of the lineup last year was his ability to play in combo and was his contribution to the build um the high press too but offensively was the build you can't just uh, you know pack in the box and stay in there you have to come to you have to check back and lay off a lot that's a big part of luchi ball and he didn't do that very much in this game so it may be a little bit of okay we need some reminders of what it was you did in the late in the season that was so helpful in this game he only passed at 52 percent which in and of itself is a striker i don't hate that number it's not great but i don't hate it um, it just depends on where they are. You know, if, if you can't facilitate the runners coming by you, whether it be Barrios, Jesus, or uh, Pico, you know, it's like you have to be able to make those little touches, hopefully when the eight's underneath you supporting. Um, and then on top of that, if that if his center back doesn't drop off about four yards on that horrible touch, that shot's not even coming off at all. So, yeah, um, no, I it was a great shot. I mean, you know, he buried it. So I'll give him, I mean, that's Cobra being Cobra, right? Sucked for 85 minutes and then scores the winner. So that's what he does. But, um, you know, he's going to have to remember that there were some specific things other than scoring that got him into games last year, and he needs to do those things or Lucci's going to sit him down in a hurry. Yeah, I just don't – and, Dan, maybe you agree or disagree with this. I just don't think he possesses the hold-up and skill level needed to play at this level in this league. I I don't see it in his game um, week in and week out. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I mean, it's kind of strange because when you see him play for the Czech Republic, suddenly he can hold the ball up. Uh, I don't know if it's maybe something that's lost in translation. Maybe they have a nicer ball. I don't know. Um, it, it, maybe that he just prefers playing with that Puma ball. Who knows? <laughs> um, I like how you say Puma. Puma. Well, Puma. That, that's because that's it's that's how it's pronounced. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. Mister Adidas. That's also how that's pronounced, and, and Jaguar. How do you pronounce yeah. the American uh, soccer uh, sports brand that begins with an N and is four letters? How do you pronounce that? Nike? 
Okay, all right. Just want to know if you didn't put some sort of weird European lit on it or tilt on it. That <laughs> no, because it's a Greek word. <laughs> oh, excuse me, Mr. Literature. Go ahead with your <laughs> commentary. I've, I've lost my train of thought now. You're um, talking about Cobra. Yeah, he could, yeah, he can magically hold the ball up for, for the Czech Republic. Um, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I definitely... Um, at the end of the day, uh, your, your high nine's there to score goals. That's what he's paid for. So, you know, if you're looking at it in a very uh, binary fashion, yeah, he did his job. Um, yeah, that, that, that touch was horrible. Um, you know, how do you let it... <laughs> it was, what, a 10-yard pass from Jesus Ferreira along the ground? I think it was longer than that. No, it was a, I think it was, it was 15, 20-yard pass. Jesus made a... Jesus split a few players to get that ball to him. That was a great pass and probably the best thing Jesus did all day. But, but that is not that was a that was a hatchet tire. Oh, that it was. A, it was total elephant touch. I mean, I asked him after the game. I was like, you know, um, what did you see on that? And he was like, and he was just kind of like a bit candid about. It. He's like, well, you can't score if you don't try. It just happened to bounce perfectly so i just closed my eyes and kicked it i guess i hit it well all right well then i now i love the guy again at least he's honest he donkey touched it and then closed his eyes and took a swing and it went in so and by the way it went in and get us a really decent goalkeeper too so i i you got to give him points for that uh let's move to jesus again that was uh, for the two guys that were the most uh concerning for me in terms of performance they were the two guys that connected for a goal and took the lead in the game so credit to them for that I still don't see what everybody else sees in Jesus as a 10 on this team. I just don't see it. Well, um, the only one that really matters, obviously, is Lucci, and Lucci sees it. I mean, I, I've, I, I've, um, I've talked to Lucci about it. Like, what do you see that, we, that I don't or that other people don't? And he talks a lot about uh, line breaking. He talks a lot about building. Um, he talks a lot about, about uh, those runs, those little dart runs that he makes. Um, now, granted, I didn't think Jesus did a lot of those things in this game. So um, I think there's actually some question as to whether uh, Jesus or Paxton might start this next game. Obviously, Paxton um, is not game fit, not 90-minute game fit. You know, he he got 15 in this last game. They'll probably try and push him to more towards 30-45 uh, in this next game, I imagine. So because Paxton will be pretty limited in that regard, I doubt you can start him, but uh, I thought I thought Jesus was bad enough in this game that that definitely is a question mark. Which one of those guys should go? Um, Lucci definitely really likes Jesus Ferreira, so it, it may be really difficult to beat him because there's some uh, very specific metrics and some very specific game actions that he likes that he talks about with it, with the kids. So um, I think he's a pretty damn good ten. I think he's even better off striker when, uh, which Dallas doesn't use a player like that. But um, it'll be an interesting question. That's for me. That's the biggest question this week: is who starts at that position? Because I thought Jesus was pretty. Might have been Dallas's worst player, to be honest with you, on the day. Yeah, uh, Dan, do you have a if 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 you had a clean uh, slate to put Jesse or Jesus, excuse me, in any at, at a particular position that you think would best capture his skill set? What would it be? Uh, it would it would be up front. Um, when I switched that three five two, having him there instead of Barrios is probably his best uh, chance of success. Um, be, you know, being able to drop back, make those uh, line breaking runs, and and feed Cobra uh, a little closer to goal. Uh, but obviously, 
you know that wasn't to be. Uh, I I'm with you. I still don't see the the appeal at the ten. I know um, Lucci likes those that that kind of crossing run between lines and and yeah, he made a few of those, but it immediately. Sorry, my dog sneezed. That wasn't me. You made your you got your dog sick, <laughs> didn't you? Probably. Your dog's got corona. Nah, she's a Tecate drinker. Um, <laughs> that's that's terrible and not my joke. Um, you know, he was he was making those runs that Lucci likes, but then he wasn't doing anything with the balls. He was running into a defender. He was trying to uh, pass into the box and you know passing into nobody. Things were going through to the goalkeeper. It was just nothing, nothing even in it, in the strength that that Lucci highlights came off for him. Yeah, I, I I think about the time after Paxton came on the field, and obviously he came on for Jesus. And what I found really interesting about that substitution was, is that at least on television, it appeared that Lucci pushed Tanner up forward and asked Paxton to come back and sit alongside Santos, or at least play deeper behind Tanner Tessman uh, in the formation for the rest of the game. But the 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 goal that Paxton scored and the run and the dribble. And all of the movement, if you if you took Paxton out and put Jesus on the field in that exact same scenario, I don't think that that play works out the same way because that's just not a run and sequence that I think Jesus does. I'm not saying he can't do it. I just don't think he does do it, and he's not that type of dynamic player. And that's really, for me, when I watch those two guys, that's the significant difference between the two. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think that's on point. You know, I think we we all think that Jesus is more of a midfield striker hybrid, whereas Paxson is definitely a uh, penetrating midfielder. Um, I think I think once Paxson came in, it looked to me like that was um, you know, a single six with a two eights. With, with I saw what I lo- went back and looked at both of their all touch videos, and Paxson definitely was working uh, parallel to Tanner. It looked to me, it definitely was more of a I don't know what you would call that a, a three three. Two, two. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I, I not to make it silly uh, formation. At least but. on TV, it it looked like yeah. he was playing behind Tanner, and Tanner was playing higher up. But again, uh, it's 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 semantics. Semantics yeah. on some of that, yeah. Uh, you know, definitely for sure, Paxton was back where Santos and and uh, and Tanner were, as opposed to Jesus, who was playing way up as a complete ten. Basically, most of the game. Well, saying, and you know, obviously, the, the, with the question being, does uh, Jesus score that same goal? You know, Paxton was had that very um, meandering, messy style run. Um, you know, drift, drifting out wide, drifting back in the the two foot um, close control in the box. Jesus would have run in a very straight line. Um, yeah, probably mate. You know, it. it he, he doesn't score that goal for the simple fact that he doesn't give Tanner Tessman the time to get ahead to play that ball off him. Yeah, it's a it, it's an interesting uh, quandary because I don't want anybody to think that I'm uh, down on Jesus and general i just i'm not convinced he's a 10 for this team and um uh, but i'm also not the coach or nor, nor an expert i just when i see him out there i i and i i just 
feel like I miss Pax. And when Paxton comes out there and does the things that he did in that very short amount of time, the effort that he put in defensively, the ball winning, um, the dynamics uh, th- that come with his game, it just looks very, very different and far more appetizing to me uh, than how I see Jesus in the midfield. So. Um, I guess that'll play itself out over the course of the season. And, and look, he'll probably go play with the U.S. and score a bunch of goals or do something great, and I'll look stupid for saying this. <laughs> well, uh, the U.S. uses him as a striker, don't they? So Yeah, true. Uh, yeah. yeah, fair enough. The other comment I wanted to uh, bring up was I thought early in the game the team got away with what I th- what I was worried was shaping up as absolute de- devastating turn of events when both when when uh, Ryan at least on TV looked like he had totally done his knee that collision where he looks like he hyperextends and blows out his knee and he lays on the ground for a while and then not more than a couple of minutes later Reggie's on the ground grabbing his hamstring I thought they've now lost both their fullbacks uh, in game number one for a period of time, yet they both stayed in and played the rest of the game, I thought was the just the, the nicest swipe of luck this team could have gotten early in the season. I was going to say Will Brisson as well. He was down with his uh, with a knee injury too. They got a certain amount of luck. Um, both uh, Hollingshead and um, Cannon have missed uh, training time this week, though. Um, they both were out yesterday for sure, and Hollingshead was out for sure today. I don't know if Reggie was or not, but... Um, probably was i would imagine uh and one of the things that lucci has said on the record uh is that if you miss wednesday you don't play on the weekend now we all know that there are rules are breakable especially a rule like that but nonetheless uh there are some serious questions about whether ryan hollingshead and reggie cannon are going to be available this weekend and based on lucci's track record they won't be so hmm. we'll have to uh well even if it's just precautionary that's the rule. If you don't train Wednesday, you're not playing. So uh, we'll, we'll have to find out over the next two days because Lucci's a guy who picks his lineup late in the week. So right now we don't know, but I would definitely call those guys at the very least questionable, and we'll see if more happens when the injury reports come out later. Wow. Well, that would be all right. We'll talk a little bit more about the uh, Montreal game here in a second. Let's just uh, finish up on the Philly game uh, related to the defense. I thought overall the team looked really strong in the uh, on their half of the field. Yeah, you know, they they did a nice job um, limiting uh, real scoring opportunities, I thought, versus versus Philly. You know, Philly's on the road, so that's tough for them. Um, but, you know, like I said, when I looked up the chart for Philly, uh, 80% of their shots came from way outside. So they really, Dallas is for the, since Lucci took over, and even in the last two years of Oscar, really, they've done a nice job keeping the defenses out in front of, offenses out in front of them, excuse me, and, um, and and running a tight, compact shape that you can't break down. So uh, I thought that carried over again and looked pretty good. And the defense is almost always in good shape before the offense is. So it's not surprising the defense was fine and the offense needs to get better. Honestly, I, I my initial thought at the time was it's a good thing that Philadelphia just can't attack, in, at least in the first half. Uh, but, you know, they, they grew into the game and then, after the goal, Philly started trying to really throw it forward and just just weren't as uh, successful in penetrating. All right, so FC Dallas 2, Philly 0, a nice start to the season. In fact, didn't Dallas end up with the greatest goal differential on the weekend? Everybody else was either a goal apart or... Um... 
uh, was at least one goal apart from each other. I think they had the biggest goal differential on the weekend. So I did not think to look at that. Let me th- look real fast. I don't think it's a big deal or yes. anything of importance, but I think that is. Uh, they were uh, tied. Minnesota and Sporting are both two goals. Ah, uh, okay. Um, all right. So now we move into the game on Saturday, which is at two o'clock against an old favorite foe, Maxi Rudy and the mysterious Thierry Henry led Montreal impact who were big winners this past week and kind of caught everybody off guard. Uh, Buzz, uh, let's start. Let's go back to the thing that you just talked about. The yeah. injury concerns with the team already in week number two. <laughs> Yes, uh, Ryan definitely was held out Tuesday and Wednesday with the knee. Uh, Reggie, I know for sure missed Tuesday. I don't know about today, um, but probably was, as I said. So those guys are definitely question marks. And uh, it's obvious on the left, if you have no hauling said that one's easy. That's Johnny Nelson, who's perfectly capable of starting. That's fine. Um, the big question will be with, if Reggie's out, um, do you put in a direct re- replacement like Brian Reynolds? And that's going to be a question with Reggie having camps coming up too, is are they going to spend the time investing in Brian Reynolds to get him ready for when they sell Reggie this summer? Or do they do something like to prevent uh, losing the first half of the season? Are they going to put Brisson in there and try and hold it together? Are they going to, or are they going to go three, five, two and put somebody on the wing, right wing, who's more of a winger and stick, you know, Brisson as a marking back and then have, well, I don't know who you'd put over there. Maybe an Emma Tuomasi could play wing back. That's something that's kind of in his bag. Um, it's hard to know what's going to happen, um, you know, because we don't know yet who's going to be available, who's not going to be available, and we don't know yet which kind of taxes are taxes are looking at. We might find out late in the week which one of the options is we're going to see as an answer. And then uh, I think there's no question that Tanner starts again um, because both Brian Acosta and um, Brandon Savania won't be cleared until early next week probably on Monday. So, uh, and Paxson's not 90 minutes fit. So maybe Paxson comes in for Jesus again, or maybe Jesus and Paxson split time. It's hard to know what'll happen. Um, so really, honestly, you got a lot of question marks going into this game, which is pretty much a must win game, by the way. Uh, this, which is amazing. This early in the year. Why is it a must win? Have you looked at the schedule? Well, let's pretend I haven't. You tell me okay. why it's a must-win. <laughs> it's a must-win game because there's a legitimate chance if you win this game that SC Dallas could start the season two and six. Because after this weekend, they travel to New York City, NYCFC, one of the best teams in the league. And you know how terrible this team's been in Dallas on the road. Last year, they were terrible on the road. They won three games. Mm-hmm. So at an NYCFC, then you go to Seattle to face the champs. All, place Dallas has never won, basically. Then you come back home to face LAFC. Granted, you're at home, but it's LAFC, arguably the best team in the league right now. Then you go away to Portland, a place Dallas has never hardly done jack. Then you go away to Minnesota, which is a team that was in the playoffs last year, and it's a really good at home. And then you go away to Colorado Rapids, who finished the season last year as one of the hottest teams in the league and have carried over and are also really good at home in that altitude. So there's so, a distinct chance that even if you beat Montreal, you could start the season two and six. So, you're so if saying, you lose this game, it's one and seven. So you're saying of the next six games, five of them are road games? Five of them are road games and the one home games against LAFC. And wow. all five of the road games are against playoff caliber teams that are gridded at home where Dallas stinks. Well, uh, Dan, maybe at least we can take some solace in knowing that uh, the history of Major League Soccer is littered with teams that uh, were crappy at the first half of the season then blossomed like beautiful flowers in the second half to win MLS Cup. 
Yep, that's the story to Seattle Sounders for sure. Um, uh, all right, well, that's a, that's a weird injury situation. Now, now Buzz, when you talk about them playing yeah. a 3-5-2, could, you said, well, I don't know who they'd throw on the right. See, to me, in my mind, based on his history, uh, I think Brian Reynolds sounds like the ideal right winger. Uh, yeah. A, like a prototype. Like the kid was a, a striker forward, uh, slashing, dynamic, attacking player that they kind of converted to a right back. I think he'd make a fantastic uh, ring, ring, winger in a 3-5-2. He's actually probably right now a better winger, uh, wing back as we would call them, than he is actually a right back. Um, he's still learning the defensive side of the game. So there is a very natural fit for him to go to that formation. I think a lot of it will be dictated by what they think Montreal is going to do because they used a uh, four five one in Champions League play, and then I looked at their home opener, and it was a well, spider. it looked kind of like it's a, a giant three, six, spider. Yeah, it was like a three six one, or maybe it was a five four. You know something. Uh, you know it's they they sit super deep and they pack it, and then they try and counter because they they basically don't have as much talent as other people, so they try and kill the game effectively. Uh-huh. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Lucci tries to counter that. This is actually a game where I think he might try and get creative, particularly now that he could be missing Hollingshead and Reggie. Um, you know, it, it, it does make you think of maybe that three five two might not be really good um, because it gets you, it frees up um, Jesus a little bit more because Orpax and whoever is in there because you have those two pure windshield wipers as the Germans used to call them. I don't remember the German word for it right there behind in front of the defense. So, which would be Santos and Tessman, obviously. Yeah. What's the spit? What's the French word for spider? Do we know that anybody offhand, anybody fluent in French? That would, <laughs> no. that would make sense. <laughs> Apparently somebody broke out the Rosetta stone. Excellent. Okay. Um, all right, so uh, anything else about the uh, Montreal game that we need to uh, preview or have of note in terms of potential changes? Changing uh, crowd the, with dollar beer night? <laughs> the only thing to think about would be um, how did you guys think Fafa did in terms of would you keep him? I mean, in a 3-5-2, he wouldn't. But if you stay in a 4-3-3, four, four, three, three, he would. So that that's the only how good was Fafa and do you want to keep him in the lineup would be the question that might determine which way you go. I didn't watch much of that game at the weekend, uh, for the Montreal game. Um, but looking at that formation and their average positions and uh, the way that New England lined up and actually kind of dominated a lot of it, I'd be keeping I'd be keeping Fafa as a as a winger along uh, opposite Barrios and just hitting on pace. All right. I think that's kind of the best way of breaking them down. Well, uh, I, I thought he was he was incrementally better than things that I normally expect to see out of uh, Santiago Mascara. So yeah, I got to give the guy another chance. And um, I I think my opinion is we've all seen more than enough of Santiago Mascara to know what you're going to get out of him from game in and game out. So uh, you use him as you have to, and if you don't have to, then throw in somebody in there that you think that you can get something more out of. And hopefully Fafa Pico proves that to be proves to be that person otherwise they need to find another person to play on the left side of the midfield uh dan you uh hinted at it a few minutes ago any particular commentary to yet another uh opening day non-sellout for fc dallas and i I have to say i i I said i was worried that the 
vibe on the team in terms of attendance was feeling a little off more than usual, but I was really surprised at how empty the stadium was, at least for the first half. And then I can't explain why or how it seemed to fill up more in the second half or what that means. It was uh, it was definitely a strange one. The parking lots were very, very full. And, you know, the, the whole charging for parking thing is apparently working for them. Um, there were still people. There were still a lot of people coming into the stadium after halftime. Um, now, are they you know. charging? Now, what is the rule on entry to the stadium after a certain point of the game? Is there is there something going on there where people figured out that if they get there late enough, they can just walk in for no problem? I think after halftime, they just they leave it open. But I mean, this was like there was a constant flow of people. You know, you um, you know, sitting up in the press box, we've got that view straight over the the east gate, and yeah, it was a constant flow from an hour before the game to after halftime of people coming in. Um, I don't know if it's the parking situation just didn't work out well. Uh, you know, we all park on the on the west side of the stadium. Um, most of most of the people I know park on the west side of the stadium, but the blue lot on the east has always been a a kind of a strange one. Uh, so I, I don't know if maybe there was a park, you know, this, the parking situation was kind of crappy on that end and, and people were still getting in. Um, there's also been some changes with like, they've added se- uh, season ticket holder only gates and made some little tweaks. And then, you know, they switched from flash seats to access, which owns flash right. seats. So a lot of people didn't know to have the access app. Um, and then people were like, uh, I, I actually um, had a ticket that I sold. Um, and weirdly, you put it up for sale on Access, but it sells it via Flash Seats. Then it gives you a balance in Access. So wow. it took it took me a good hour Jeez. to figure out how I accept the bid um, for one. But, User experience. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was a, there were a lot of teething problems that that were pretty obvious. Um even stuff like uh, season ticket holders only get the giveaways now, and they have to go to a certain booth to pick up the little uh, the little hat that was supposedly too small for a child to wear. Oh no! You know, so people then uh, they're going from the parking lot, getting through this line, getting through all that, going through security, going to this one place, <laughs> then trying to figure out where they can get food and drink, and then trying to find their seats. So, you know, that that stadium just looked completely empty for the longest time. But I mean, it, it was. It looked two thirds full to me, but at least uh, by the time people finally got sat down, yeah, for sure. I guess uh, this weekend will be interesting to see. I mean, Montreal obviously is not a particularly big name or a big draw, so that'll be of interest. It's a midday well, you'll Saturday. Get the, uh, you'll get the Arsenal fans. They, uh, you know, they they will come. You, and... Is that really a draw thing? You think is Henri yeah. as a coach any sort of ticket seller and and outside of. I don't know. Yeah, because you got to remember they've only they've only known about Arsenal for like the last ten years, so that he was like the the original great player to them. Right. Okay, quit being a snob. All right, quit being like that. That's well, weird. Max Uruti's coming home, so that's going to be a sellout. Okay. All right, you guys are being jerks now. <laughs> don't forget Victor Wanayama. Big draw. <laughs> well, he won't be playing for them this weekend i don't think i don't think he yeah but people bought tickets when david beckham was never gonna play here right okay well 
Fair enough. Now, the other question uh, I had related to all of this, which was the... Oh, I know what it was. I wanted to give a big shout-out to the beer garden. The Tifo was fantastic. The Mandalorian, the Baby Yoda Tifo was great. But I specifically want to double applaud over my head. I'm, give, I'm, 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 I'm applauding over my head to the beer garden for putting on the Mandalorian shield the little uh, vomit flame from the Dallas Burn horse that is also on the bull's head. That was a sweet touch that I totally paid attention to. Credit to anybody. who Whoever came up with that detail for the TIFO, uh, I will like to give you a hug in person next time I see you, whoever that person may be. So please identify yourself uh, if I'm in your presence. Come over and receive your one free hug from me. I'll uh, try and find out who did that. Well, maybe they'll listen to the pod and they'll just come up and uh, accost me uh, at the game. Because I actually get to go to the game this weekend because the show, we our show's getting preempted Saturday because of a Stars game. So I actually unexpectedly get to attend an FC Dallas game before the month of May, which I didn't think was going to happen. So I will be there uh, on uh, on Saturday as well. The other thing that we, uh, I saw this mentioned online, Buzz or Dan, one of you guys mentioned, you also have heard this too. Uh, Dan Hunt made his annual appearance at the 24-hour tailgate and rumors were abound that dan either uh, un like i don't know why he would say this or spoke out of turn or this is being misconstrued or whatever but s- people are reporting that dan openly admitted that the club is in active uh, investigation to figure out how to create some sort of shade for the east stands D- does anybody else have any more details on this I don't have any details. I, I know for sure that they have known that the heat on the East stands was a problem, but this is definitely <laughs> a change. To say the least. To say the least, yes. This is definitely a change that Dan is now saying we're actively working on it, looking into it. That's definitely different. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they come in up the with. the past on his Facebook chats, but never like in the detail that it sounds like he was talking but did he give anybody, that, do either one of you know specific details that he may have said during the tailgate? I just know he was no. there for a couple of hours and he was actively participating in some some of the beer guardians things. Like maybe what the beer, beer pong? Maybe no, no, he was he two. was yeah, he was he was there like uh he's he's always like st- stuck around for for a little bit and had a chat with people but um and I wish I wasn't sick I would have been there. Um I, I always enjoy a good beer with Dan Hunt. That, that's definitely Oh, okay. That's definitely when you, one when, of the parts. When you said he was doing beer garden things, I thought you meant maybe he was doing the TikTok skull crusher challenge with somebody from the beer guardians or something like that, but I guess not. What in the name of Greek buggery is that? It's a thing on the kids are doing on the TikTok, I'm told. I uh, And it looks super dangerous, and, and I saw a story where some kid cracked his skull open, which seems to make sense since it's called the skull crusher challenge, but... Uh, I don't know. You can look it up for yourself, Dan. Pete uh, is cool with the kids. I am. I'm a, I'm a very, very hip 51-year-old. No question about it. Well, well I guess we'll find out more. I, I, I was telling you guys before the pod, my architect friends tell me that trying to put any sort of construction up that would block and provide shade to the east side of the stands is problematic because of the way the light stanchions are structured and the position where they sit outside of the stadium so to create shade, you'd have to put the shades up either. You'd either have to tear down the stanchions and reconfigure the lighting, 
or put the shade up behind it, and there's no real way to do that easily. Um, and then I suddenly realized with all the new LED technology that many stadiums are starting to get uh, installed. I see it a lot in England lately. When I was at uh, Cardiff, they did this, where they can turn the lights on and off super fast, and they're way smaller in size. I wonder if that's part of the solution they're looking into, which would be kind of cool if, if they got that figured out. So, um, And I'll just remind everybody, the actual solution that doesn't really cost anybody any real dollars, unless maybe uh, there's some other business component I'm not privy to is just start all the games at eight o'clock that solves all your sun problems no matter if it's february or it's august that solves all your problems eight o'clock starts period i agree with that yep uh all right let's look through the rest of the list here uh oh buzz you wrote a fascinating blog uh post this week at thirddegree.net that highlighted the insane reality of the prob the byproduct of having a bunch of really good national team level players is the potential that this team may face up to 99 missed man games over the course of the season is that possibly right uh, it's it's probably it's theoretically possible, but it's not possible in reality. Just because some of these guys are in multiple teams, you know, when you have the Reggie Paxson, Jesus, Brandon Cervania are all senior and Olympic eligible, so there's some crossover there. But it is true that this is a big year for tournaments. Like for example, Cobra could miss as many as 16 FC Dallas games, depending on whether he gets what he gets called into between international windows the European Championships, and the UEFA Nations League, which mm. is in September. So if he gets called into all those things, you're looking at upwards near 16 games for him. And then for the four big American kids, which you can throw Jesse Gonzalez in there too, um, you know, you've got World Cup qualifying starting and some friendlies leading in. So there's there's like four or five different windows where you can miss some of those guys. And then those, <clears throat> excuse me a second. And then those same four guys are involved with the Olympic team. Now they're... Um, Paxton Jesus, probably not Brandon because he's been hurt. And Reggie are probably those those three guys because Brandon probably is not going. Those three guys are about to leave after the Montreal game, and they're going to miss a whole month. Uh, and that'll cost them something like uh, uh, two or three games, depending on how quickly they get back or how quickly the U.S. is eliminated from qualifiers. And then they turn around and have the Olympics this summer. And then you also have the CONCACAF U-20 National Championships uh, coming up, which is the qualifier for next year's World Cup. And that includes Tanner, Thomas Roberts, Brian Reynolds, Ricardo Pepe, and Dante Seeley. Those six, is that six? Those five guys could all be in the U20 pool for the U20 championships, which probably will have some camps and some games leading up to it too. So it even could be beyond 90 games. This is what happens when you have guys throughout your whole team that are national team call-ups. And that doesn't even account Brian Acosta, who will be missing for World Cup qualifying for his country too. So um, they have an extraordinary heavy load. You're going to see a whole lot of rotation this year when those guys are all coming and going and missing out on games. Uh, all right, let's uh, do it. Dan requested it. It's everybody's favorite segment. It's Kit Talk on the podcast. Thomas Remy oh, Kit Talk. I thought it was going to be a Dan impersonation. I thought that was everyone's oh, favorite. Oh, that's right. I forgot I already about said that. I surrender in, in a French accent. What more do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> no, Kit Talk's better. Everybody loves Kit Talk. All right. Dan, uh, what is up with Kit Talk today on the pod? Kit Talk. Um, so in the world of Kit Talk, we got to see the FC Dallas kits at last. What did you all think of them? 
Uh, I thought that they were fantastic. They, the, the things that I look for most in a kit is a um, specific branding element that you can build your brand around and consistently use. And for me, that element was the return of some kind of hoop. So I really liked that. I know it's not a full hoop, but it was something. And the other thing I really like is about kits in general is I like from the top of the stands to be able to tell which team you're watching by a quick look at the field. And the way this Dallas kit works out, which is this red to blue to red look now, makes them unique in MLS in terms of their look, uh, particularly with the hoop is added pieces in. So the two things I find most important in kits, this has, and I thought it looked fantastic. Uh, Dan, I, I agree with Buzz. Uh, the I was, you know, I'm a big fan of white shorts, but I have to say the red to the navy to the red is, and again, I'm going to agree with Buzzard here, The makes this team look unique in the league. Nobody else is wearing that red, navy red like this. I know that Salt Lake has something slightly similar, but it, it's different enough. Um, the hoops to me are inconsequential because they're almost unnoticeable at a distance. Um, and and it, I thought the I thought the uniform really struck out. I mean, stuck out. If there was one criticism, and this has nothing to do with Dallas, is the bizarre insistence by Adidas to do the weird wide shoulder three stripes. Which, again, we've talked about this on a previous pod. I don't understand why Adidas tried to take a, a, a design element from 1990 uh, and apply it uh, as a celebration, uh, I don't know what you would call it, a celebration gadget or design piece for something that happened many, many years later. Like, I just don't get that at all. Uh, and it's the one distractive piece to the uniform, uh, to the kit overall, that I, I don't like. But in general, I thought it looked super sharp, and it's one of the best uniforms this club's had in quite some time. I actually thought the uh, the, the stripes looked better in, in, uh, in the game than they kind of did in all the promo picks. Even in the jersey, you know, just when if you're wearing it around, um, particularly like uh, even going further around the league, like the LAFC one, that weird black on black thing, it actually looked pretty cool because it, it showed up as more of a gray on black. And I agree. Just I, complimentary. Yeah, no, I, I thought the way they did it with the, the shiny muted on the LAFC looks great, but on the white on the red in the Dallas shirt, I just thought doesn't make any sense design wise. But sorry, I didn't I interrupt th- you. I, I, I thought it was just narrow enough that it, it pulled off. Uh, you know, if it was like those big the the early 90s ones that they were trying to take the inspiration from then you just be there like cool this jersey's just really busy and stupid <laughs> um but yeah i mean that I, I, it was it was good it was it was good i know like there were a lot of uh, mixed reactions on the jerseys and it was kind of i didn't i didn't actually see anyone not like it i guess uh seeing it in action for the first time which was positive it seems like fc dallas did something right which is we like to highlight when we when we can we always like to be positive when allowed <laughs> and the other thing uh buzzard sent me a text during the game and he said something about i mean uh, i think it was like, i'm surprised they let uh, jesse play in a in a pink jersey when when the team's in red and i looked and i was like why he's in bright orange what are you on about yeah, this is an interesting and, note and um you know and i think on one of the on one of the replays, because uh, we have the TV broadcast up in the press box, Nico looked over and he's like, "Man, that jersey looks really pink on TV." 
I got home, I watched the Seattle game, and again, they're playing in that orange jersey, and it looks... One camera looks bright orange, next camera looks super pink. It is... They're, they're testing the limits of every broadcast camera, apparently, this year with that color set. Yeah, Buzz, I, you, you because you work these games on the video production side, you could probably talk about this. But from watching it from home on my television, and, and as you guys know, I'm a big AV nerd, that's one of the most noticeable things was from camera to camera, it looked like Jesse was changing keeper jerseys. <laughs> throughout the game because there were cameras that it looked like it was orange and other cameras that looked like it was pink uh and i and to be honest i don't i couldn't tell you what if you held a gun to my head and said what color is jesse's jersey i don't think i could give you i could give you an honest answer yeah the it, people may not know this but on a television broadcast uh depending on and, and it varies for how many cameras you have there's a person whose job it is just to deal with the color and the shading of the cameras um so in this, in their part of their job is to balance them so they're all the same. They do what's called a white balance, which is you balance the colors based on the color white, uh, and then everything else should fall into place in terms of the chroma. So um, that jersey that Jesse was wearing for, for the most of the game, I kind of thought it was a pink or sort of a salmon kind of color. Yes, yeah, salmon. And then I yeah, saw okay. a real picture, and I was like, oh, it's orange. So it's like it just sort of depends. I think on like which direction you catch some light from it or something. Maybe there's a reflective property or something because I literally thought it was it was just barely different color from the color that Dallas was wearing on TV. And then uh, when I saw a photo picture of it, I was like, oh, it's a completely different color. But that I still, would... you know, to me, like red orange is too close for a keeper. I mean, Jesse should have been in like yellow or green or something to me. I mean, uh, you know, that orange orange versus red or orange versus pink is way too close. I think as well just putting him in Houston's colors kind of a bit off. Yeah. Um, I think there was some photojournalists that were caught out as well. I mean, I know like, you know, most photographers, they're uploading, sorry, they're uploading from a camera. They're just hitting auto level for the most part, or they're using the default setting in the camera. But there are a couple of pictures from the Seattle game where the the keeper looked in pink and, um, Uh, Fry looked in like he was in pink and then next thing he looks like he's in orange so it definitely wasn't exclusive to the TV yeah it could be that it's just one of those weird uh, uh, very specific colors that just gives digital cameras a real problem to uh, translate uh, you know visually and and that that happens all the time what I'll tell you guys is is somebody who's into 4k if you think that's a problem at you know regular high definition resolutions at 4k when you're watching like EPL games games in 4k the camera to camera difference it gets even worse it's insane uh and it's a, I, I think i don't know if there's an easy solution to it and buzz it sounds like they have a guy that or a person that's job is dedicated to it but they yeah. must go nuts because it's all related to the lighting right like the direct yeah. lighting indirect lighting and just how light bounces off colors and stuff um but that's a a, a really fascinating conversation because that that was funny because i swear jesse looked like he was changing shirts <laughs> yeah in between camera shots Shots. Uh, well, on a, a level of a broadcast of FC Dallas, the quality of the equipment is not the same as it is on the EPL broadcast, where you might get 
um, different kinds of chips in the various cameras. You might get different kinds of lenses. The qualities of the camera, it, it, yeah. The yeah. quality of the camera, like how expensive they are from one to the other, um, whether it's a brand new one or whether it's a couple of years old, all that stuff impacts it. But yeah, there is a guy there who's tweaking all that stuff. But again, you know, they, if there's a weird fabric or something or a weird color, it's like oh, the most important thing is the whites are the same and then everything else falls along and there's a consistency to that. And really a shadows, a little bit of a shadow or, or even in a stadium like FC Dallas's, which may not be quite as brightly lit as some other new big mega EPL stadiums might be, you know, that can make a difference too. So it's a, it's a very complicated, very technical, very expensive process. Yeah. Uh, and. I love talking about that stuff. I find it super interesting. Now, I, I before we end the pod, I do want to comment since we're in Kit Talk. Uh, I was really disappointed when uh, Inter Miami rolled out their new home kits and they were white. I was so crushed to see that Inter Miami is wearing white shirts instead of pink. But I will say, I thought the white shirts with the pink shorts and the pink socks was a really sharp look. Uh, and so I will relent on the pink shirts, at least for now. I don't know if you guys dug it or not. I thought it was terrible. I mean, I, there, there's so many much possibilities with pink and black and white. I mean, their, their home jerseys are black and their road jerseys are white, and that's terrible. And the pink was so pale that, like again, a lot of the times on TV, it looked like they were just wearing solid white, except maybe somebody left a sock in the thing, you know, red sock. Because I just thought that it looked it looked washed out and pale and weak, and it's like you could have had so much fun with, you know, some kind of pink and white stripe or a or a a really strong pink and then a white short maybe or something like that. It's just like there was so much to play with, and they've done this, such an amazing job with their branding to then totally fail and butcher the jerseys. To me, was a complete utter screw up. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. If the, if they'd have made it a little bit darker. More like that Palermo kind of pink. That would have been pretty sweet. All right. Well, we can all agree to disagree. I thought they looked sharp. Uh, any other kit comments from the weekend? Anybody else dig any of the other MLS kits they saw? DC. That looked, uh, yeah. that looked great yeah, with the, the throwback one. red shorts. Uh, the, the, yeah, the black shirts, red shorts, I thought super uh, super stuck out. Kudos they just need that. those white socks. Kudos to Pablo Maurer for making that happen. Oh, was that how it was that his fault? <laughs> yeah, because he talked about it and played it up and made a whole big deal about it. And then he uh, the club was like, well, no, we're wearing black. And then he ran into I think it was Ben Olsen like a week before the opener. And he's like, hey, well, I, heard, I heard the last minute you guys are going to wear red shorts. And ben, and ben was like, yeah, thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> it was like <laughs> they definitely cool. blamed him for that. To have, and I agree. I thought that looked great. Yeah. All right. Know? So uh, Pablo can come and collect his hug from me, too, because I, yeah. he deserves one for that. But uh, he can leave his is uh, Johan Cruyff's uh, Diplomats jersey in the National Soccer Hall of Fame. Okay. Wow, that's true. That is true. That's a good point. All right, well, good. We covered all the points. Anything I've left off, here's your last chance to throw something in, either one of you. Uh, I just thought it was really cool that um, so many kids off of the FC Dallas U15 team got called into the new FC Dallas, not into the U.S. National 15 teams, six of them off of just FC Dallas alone, and they had a seventh kid who is playing two years up with the U17. So that's pretty remarkable. And, and again, it goes back to how great that U15 team is that I've been talking about for FC Dallas. Okay, FC Dallas, Montreal's in town. Uh, anybody who cares, Thierry Henry will actually be in the Metroplex. So uh, that game kicks off at 2 o'clock at Toyota Stadium. Remember, parking is now paid. You may want to give yourself a little bit of extra time to uh, get parked and entered into the stadium. 
Thank you, Dan. I appreciate you uh, fighting through the horrific cold or bronchitis or coronavirus that you're suffering from. Thank you very much. Thank you, but I've had this weird premonition that Buzz might have one more thing to discuss. Oh, Buzz. Yeah, I just typed that in the chat because you were into your things. It just popped into my head. I thought you guys might like this. Mm. Peter, you might find this interesting. No I did a marketing survey yesterday for the Texas Rangers um, that asked a bunch of questions about um, professional teams in the market and like their brand and what their brand means to you. And it has all these qualities of like tough versus family versus blah, blah, all this stuff. Hmm. And it was five franchises. It was the Cowboys, the Mavericks, the Stars, the Rangers, and FC Dallas. So that was kind of cool to see FC Dallas incorporated into this fan branding survey that the Rangers sent out. So um, we talk a lot about marketing and branding on this pod because I think it's really important. So I thought that was just an interesting Speaking, thing to have come around my email yesterday. Yeah. Speaking of the Rangers, they dropped their uh, theme nights and July 21st, which is a Tuesday, they play the Astros and it's FC Dallas night. The cheating asterisk. What, what does FC Dallas night at a Rangers game look like? What do you do? Dress up as Richard Ferrer and Brandon Pollard, or what do you do? Uh, I hear you wear a Mark Dodd jersey, um, which you just found. Um, uh, no, they're gonna they're, they're gonna do a co-branded FC Dallas and Texas Rangers hat. And um, oh, that's cool. That that there's there's some interesting FC Dallas fans going, and maybe Dan, you're gonna get another hole glared at you through your head. Yeah, <laughs> I'm good at that, though. You are good at that. All right, well, that's cool. I saw on somewhere, Facebook, Twitter, one of those, uh, MySpace, I don't know what it was, somebody mentioned, it, are the stars doing specific Hispanic outreach? Have you yes. seen this? <clears throat> yeah, it was mentioned on Twitter. Um, stars President Brad Alberts is meeting with media members today about initiatives with Mexican-Americans in Dallas at Texas and trying to, uh, the ultimate goal is for the Stars to play a game in Mexico City at some point. Hmm. So the Stars are at least trying to do some level of Hispanic outreach and try and increase their market presence. It would be nice to see more of that from FC Dallas, of course. Wait, are you saying that the whitest sport there is is trying to reach out to Hispanic people, but uh, Hispanic popular sport is not? I mean, the Stars are, so yeah, <laughs> the local and locally anyway, yeah. Huh. Huh. Someone should maybe take inspiration from that. Boy, Dan, whatever medication you, you've ingested sure has made you uh, particularly extra snarky uh, this evening. I, f- I feel like when we get our permanent press passes, mine's going to go missing. <laughs> uh, breaking news, I just found out Reggie did practice today, so thumbs up on terms of him being available this weekend. Oh, boy, I'm glad uh, we didn't just got end, that text. End, end too quickly. All right, boy, yeah. check this out. People listening to the pod actually got to listen in real time when Buzz got a secret text from somebody yep. within a mole within the organization sharing information <laughs> that he should not have. Buzz, right. where did you say you were calling in from again? Lucy's office? <laughs> no, Robert Redford's office. Robert Redford's it's office. He's got the Sundance Sun- Kid rights. He'll use that nickname. Uh, okay. T-shirt revenue. Yes. T-shirt. <gasps> T-shirt. Are you gonna? Di- All right. Uh, well. All right. Let me. Let me. <laughs> let me restart the dismount. Dan, I hope you're feeling better. Uh, thanks for joining us this evening. Thank you, Peter. And Buzz, appreciate your time. Would you like to pimp your Patreon and money making machine that you've uh, oh, yeah. revved up? 
yeah, you can always buy a t-shirt, but also, you know, the, the Patreon's a chance for people to support us. We're like PBS. If you like what we do, you can throw us a couple of dollars. I do try to give people a little bit of extra content on there, a little bit of like uh, extra soccer discussion, since I, I'm assuming people that would Patreon us are uh, hardcore enough to want that kind of in-depth discussion. Um, we're up to 110 patrons as of today, so that was like 10 in the last week. That's pretty exciting. So we're moving along at a good clip. That's real. I'm real excited about the progress. All right. Uh, thank you, Buzz and Dan. Hope to see everybody out at the game on Saturday. And thank you, FC Dallas fans. We will speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Thomas Robbins, dicks can't talk. Did you just say dicks? Thomas Roberts Diggs Kit Talk. Oh, okay. That makes it sound much better. Thank you for clarifying.